Good evening, this is Patrick from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. And I never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's best visions of the future, featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode covers Season 3, Episode 3 of Star Trek Picard. It's called 17 Seconds. Yes. Okay, so this week's episode was when just a whole plot thread came out of left field and sideswiped the entire story. Oh, right, yeah. Seemingly out of nowhere. And then we had a little double down on the Worf and Rafi pairing. I totally think it wasn't Rafi geeking out about Worf. It was her actor geeking out about Michael Doran. Oh, I think that's fair. Welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> that's my Kirk impression. Hello. Oh, is that what that is? Welcome, <laughs> Earl Grey, which is your name, mine being Jack Dorino, and our collective name being... Let's talk about treks. You know, Shaw and Picard did it better. Oh, yeah? Eating each other's sandwiches. <laughs> it's one of the many themes we've decided to now go back to again and again with Star Trek Picard, apparently. Okay, yeah. So what's this week's episode about, Mr. Gray? This week we'll be reviewing Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Part 3, 17 seconds. The release date was on the 2nd of March, 2023. 3223. Correct. Thank you. It is also the 2-3 of all 2-3 all episodes of Picard. 2-3 on 3223. Yeah, exactly. It's the 876th of all of Star Trek. Yeah, this episode was written by Jane Maggs and Cindy Appel and... As you can tell from the very first scene, Jonathan Frakes is the director for this episode. So it is Appel, it's not Apple. I mean, I I don't know. Oh, okay. But Miss Appel or Miss Apple, you are eternally welcome to come on Let's Talk About Treks and correct us. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. 17 seconds takes place in both 2381 in parts and 2401 for the majority of it. Okay. On an unknown start date. All right. This is the episode where Picard and Beverly try to start reconciling, and Worf and Rafi somehow discover a changeling, which also becomes part of the plot on the Titan, which, by the way, is completely helpless to the wormhole weapon <laughs> that Vatic is deploying against them. Somehow, how did they get the wormhole weapon so quickly? I was wondering that myself. I imagine that they would have either had them ahead of time mm. or had them ahead of time. <laughs> I mean, I guess Rafi was already looking for the wormhole weapon after it had been stolen prior to the beginning of the show. So we catch up with her on the trail of it. So there must have been enough time for the people that stole it to have gotten it to Vatic or Vatic be the person that was the one who stole it. I don't feel like the weapon that produced the effect at the Starfleet Recruitment Center on Metallus Prime was the same weapon that is causing the strike to be able to produce such excellent wormholes. I think this is two separate devices is what I'm getting at. Hmm. I wonder if whoever Vatic got the weapon from or if they developed their species developed their technology, maybe that's where the Daystrom Institute got a prototype and was studying it to try and reverse engineer it. That is interesting in the way that time crystals are interesting to with section 31 because okay. 
we had the time crystals that came after our time crystals that we stole from Boreth in the first place. And mm-hmm. and now what you're suggesting is potentially we stole some wormhole weapons. So who would be coming after us? Do you think it's like um, the Iconians? No, it's the Founders. Why is it the Founders? Are the Founders the Iconians? And is that why we couldn't find the Iconians for so long? Because they had turned into the Founders um, and ended up like a wormhole away? They were like the demons of air and darkness, right? So they would just be all over the place. Yeah. So maybe they went through the wormhole and the Bajoran wormhole and, you know, receded into the Gamma in a liquid. Maybe they were already a liquid being or maybe they could have evolved into a, a liquid being maybe the progenitors that we met in the episode of the star trek the next generation called the chase and the founders might be the same individuals by way of the progenitors being the same as the iconians okay interesting at the beginning in the little stinger i think i saw what you may have been thinking were you seeing like a next generation warbird partially cloaked or like a those old scientist era warbird partially cloaked those old scientists era Oh, then I didn't see what you were talking about. Oh, okay. There's also a brief glimpse of like a fleet of something's cloaked in one of the clouds too at the very last second just before they pop out to the full logo. Yeah, it's probably not you hallucinating. (laughs) Or, I mean, I could be totally making something out of shadows too. I turned away when the episode was starting and I thought for some reason that I had keyed up Pacific Rim instead. <laughs> okay. Because all I heard was Wah. so I was like, wait, hold on. Am I in the wrong place? Yeah, that sound effect seems familiar. It became really common for a while, I feel like. Yeah. Like for a few years it was in like every movie. Yeah, I mean I think I joke lovingly heard to it referred to as the Christopher Nolan trailer sound effect. It, oh sure. It comes from, yeah. I think I've heard it in Inception trailer. It also seems like it reminds me of the sound effect from, or a sound effect from the second Star Wars prequel movie. You always have to bring Star Wars into this, don't you? You just can't <laughs> let it go. You you don't let a single episode go without bringing Star Wars into this. Well, well nothing. Star Trek and Star Wars are very big, influential movies in all, all of sci-fi so i mean it's, yes but we're not talking all of sci-fi we're talking about star trek picard season three part three 17, 17 seconds, seconds. <laughs> that, correct so that's where the titan <laughs> is doing a nice spin flip toward and mm-hmm. past the camera with the shrike in tow mm. yes here's this neat thing that i think about jonathan Frakes is like now i think that like he knows how now to do like every possible kind of spin and flip because he really did it up <laughs> in Discovery. So he's learned how to do every possible, like with the CGI, with the actors and the small spaces and the big spaces. So he knows exactly like everything. So like all he has to do is like at certain points, just put in one and we're going to be like, well, no, like, oh, this is phrase. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a little <laughs> trademark. Like you didn't have to like overdo it. So like beginning it in the CGI is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I like his ideas applied to the CGI. It's it's what I used to dream of when I was an adolescent. Yeah, I mean, he totally is playing or using the fact that space has no up and no down. I'm good with playing because he is playing around. <laughs> it seems like a lot of what you see is maybe a flippy dip in one direction, but not two directions all at once or even three. Oh, you mean on one axis? Yeah. As opposed to several. Mm. Let's not discuss Euclidean geometry right now. (laughs) Because (laughs) I think that we did that. I think that we did more than one axis of rotation at the same time during this shot. You know, when we go down and follow the Titan and come back behind the strike and then come back to the Titan again. It's a great establishing shot. Like, it really shows 
really helps me see where we are in the space. <laughs> yeah. The space. The space. Yeah. The space of space. Okay, so wait, so Shaw's like, Send somebody down to look out the goddamn back windows. Yeah, I think that might have been one of my best lines. Great. That's that's an early nomination. Okay. But this guy is standing in front of a window that shows <laughs> out the back is, of the Is that ship. a window? Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. I mean, it sure. looks like to me, like, what's this bright? It's, it, it, okay. If it's not a window, it's something that looks identical to what you would see if there were a window outside there. Like, I don't know what that is, mm -hmm. but if they're saying the sensors don't work, then wait, I'm confused. Does the view screen work at this time when they're saying the sensors don't work? Because the, the, I mean, the view screen is a sensor, correct? It senses things well, uh, and displays them yeah. on a screen. What's qualified with the sensors? Like, what, what are this, what, what? pieces of technology are bundled in what they call the sensors well i would imagine that there's got to be at least a basic video camera no because if the main viewer works then the sensors work or some some of the senses of the sensors when we speak about them we talk about them as the sensors right yeah so they, they, they pack, yeah i can't think of a specific time when they said like the visual sensors are down or the you know, auditories. Do, mm -hmm. do you think the ship can smell space? Well, I mean, is, is there like, sir, this area of space stinks. <laughs> I thought I thought in space no one could hear you smell. No one can see you fart. Oh, okay. I mean, except they can because you'll get propelled across space. <laughs> do you think astronauts in this in this on a spacewalk if they're, they're gassy? They're inside they... suits, so well, I don't yeah. think so. Like I don't think again. you want to fart inside your suit. <laughs> I think that if you fart inside your suit, Cape Canaveral knows, actually. But, like, you got to fart. Like, if you fart on the International Space Station, like, you have to. Like, some, like, like if you're up there for, like, months, right? <laughs> or a year, yeah. Like, you either have to fart in the space station or fart in the suit. And if you fart in the suit, you might as well fart in the space station. It's not like you're emptying it out. Do you think they collect and reuse their farts? Hmm. Just that to like be... get us practice, just start getting us ready for you know, joint start fleet each shit, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, what would be a practical application of collecting the methane and other gases? I mean, propulsion. Oh, so instead of using oxygen in the uh, propellant, the thrusters. Sure. Instead of using expelling oxygen in the thrusters, they could fill the thrusters with. Flatulence. You just have like a fart tube, right? And like every time someone has to fart, they just go put the tube and then they fart in the tube and then you <laughs> fill up the whole tank. And But when you fill up the whole tank, you just light it and you go shooting off. Good. No, I, I mean, I was talking about the, the little psh, 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 air uh, thruster. Oh, I was scaling it up. This is a scalable solution, you see. Like you could actually oh, okay. just get like a big tank also and mm. everybody fart into the tank for like months. <laughs> and then we just light a match and explode ourselves. It's my understanding that they don't change very often and they don't wash much more than once a week so you know they're up there and yeah the, the the space station has to be rank just like a starship right it's skin sludge because there's no air i mean <laughs> i imagine they have air moving on it right yeah there would be air moving. because if you don't move the air aren't you just gonna like use up all the oxygen in the room and all the air is not going to be moving around so there's no more oxygen gonna be coming into the room i think you gotta have air moving around in there yeah they have oxygen or car carbon dioxide scrubbers they filter out the carbon dioxide and, and yeah, 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 I got you. I'm just saying, like, the air has to be moving. You have to make the air move because it's not going to move on its own in space, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying is that's why they're, I mean, it has to be able to move so it can get to the oxygen scrubbers. 
remember last week when I was talking about how like we could just make the teaser. The teaser is like its own act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They apparently heard us. And now the teaser of this episode is not its own act. It's definitely a teaser. It was extremely mm-hmm. quick and it ends with a sandwich. We lost her. Another sandwich. <laughs> now <laughs> Riker and Picard are practicing eating each other's sandwiches now too. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Really quick aboard the Shrike, we get a better look at the uh, people that Vatiker is working with. Their, rem- their masks remind me of bird skulls. And I was kind of curious, could they be Zindi avian skulls if they're all extinct? What you just asked doesn't make any sense. Could they be Did- something that's extinct? Well, no. Well, yeah. I don't know what you mean. I don't think that's what you mean to say. What I mean to say is by these people prioritizing using these skulls for their face masks, uh-huh. did they cause the extinction of these Indian avians? I wish I knew Enterprise better in this moment because I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> I, have nothing, I have no context to connect it to. It's It was a long road, and I didn't really feel like I just I rode on in a train instead of I was on a boat instead of taking that long road. I'm going to have to handcuff you into a chair No, no, it's not that. No, 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 no. It's, again, it's not that. It's not, no, no, it's not that I try to watch it and it's yeah. just okay, what, I, what I've been saying was it puts me to sleep and it puts yeah. sure, granted. The reason it does that is because it's so boring and my most poignant, I mean just for me, just for me specifically, I understand like, uh, like mm-hmm. all most of, all of, most the majority of Star Trek mm-hmm. is wonderful <laughs> You know, like, and 80% of it is delightful. And then, like, there's maybe, like, a couple percent that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, if you have a torpedo, if you have your leg, you know, festooned to the outer skin of a ship by a torpedo and there's a Romulan warbird coming at you, I shouldn't be bored. (laughs) Like, that's not a boring scenario. That's not a boring situation. But okay. I don't I don't know what what quality of that show just doesn't strike me, but it just doesn't strike me. I've tried starting even in like I've started from the beginning. I've started from like I've tried starting from the mirror universe, especially like the mirror universe. I know I've tried to watch that several times. And I just hmm. I don't know. Maybe they're doing it too well. <laughs> I'm just, it could well, be that they're doing it very well. and I'm disturbed by the fact like how do they know to do this so well? <laughs> How do they know to make these people so despicable? I mean, maybe part of it is by now we've figured out that in that era, the main title characters don't generally die. So when he is attached to the ship by a uh, uh, Romulan mine, then we we know he's not going to die. So it's like, oh. Well. Uh, yeah, sure, because they built up his character so much already. Yeah. You know, like so early in this or so early in the season, they built up his character enough that like, why are you gonna like undo all of the work that you just did creating this whole yeah. character? And like, I, I, I yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, as a reminder, today we are talking about Star Trek: Picard, <laughs> season three, episode three. It's called Seventeen, 17 Seconds. Seventeen Seconds. Jake, you owe me a coke. So, because the teaser is so short, what say that? You ready for the pun before we get to act one <laughs> that we talk about the polls from last week absolutely uh, last week's episode was covering star trek picard season three episode two it was called disengage and the polls that we ran on twitter i think i've determined that 
we need to that I need to tweak the way that they're going out. Uh, so first of all, I think that I need to link to them in the description of the episode when this episode goes out. Mm-hmm. so that people can find them more easily and then I think that I need to leave them open an extra day okay so I think that that will help because this time I think maybe the maybe it was unclear there just weren't many respondents to the poll so I think maybe it was maybe a navigation issue or a placement issue so mm-hmm. we're going to try to QI that <laughs> and do do a little <laughs> little plan do study act cycle to see if we can improve the uh, improve the outcome on that. But thank you to everybody who did vote in the polls. Exactly, yes. And thank you for everybody who did in spirit and, in, you know, wanted to. But, <laughs> you know, I may have fumbled the ball a little bit on that. But our polls for last week included the most valuable player of the episode, the least valuable play mm-hmm. of the episode. We, uh, we, we had a decision between the, what was the best Easter egg, what were the worst and the best lines, and then the backdoor pilot. Yeah. Where would you like to start? MVP. Out of all of the Star Trek The Next Generation characters, like, during the run of the show, I think that Riker was the one that I least connected with. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong with the character. He's a great character. Yeah. But I always connected more with Worf for some reason. Mm-hmm. Not that Worf and I are that much alike. <laughs> <laughs> You're not seven foot tall and have a deep voice? I'm not a Dahar master. There's that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but those were the two choices of MB, MB, MBI. Those were the two choices of MVP that we put in the polls for last week. And with 50% of the vote, Worf and Riker both win. <laughs> okay. Next, let's do LVP. There is an interesting phenomenon that happened this week, and it happened several times. And this is <laughs> the second instance in which it happened. <laughs> if you recall, our. Nominations for last week's least valuable player were the brig officer who let Jack out of the brig and <laughs> Jack who got out of the brig to go nowhere. <laughs> so with 50% of the vote, they're both equally as useless. Well, if I put my vote in, I'm going to say No, my too late. No, it's closed. No. <laughs> yeah. Where's the next place that we're going to go on our, our poll journey? Easter eggs. We have part three of the mysterious phenomena from last week. Both of our Easter eggs last week revolved around the audio cues that were within the episode, one being the Klingon March that seemed to be applied to Worf, though that was applied to Worf, and the other was the Romulan dirge that seemed to be audible when we saw the strike. And with 50% of the vote, everybody loves both pieces of music. (laughs) (laughs) Not even so sure, like, whether it was, like, about like it being in the episode just like you know which one do you like <laughs> the things that we have left are the best line from last week the worst line from last week and the back door pilot let's change it up a little bit and go to the uh, back door pilot this does change it up our proposals for last week were star trek underworld mm-hmm. it seems to me like we're spending a lot of time on this planet with rafi one of the things that kira said about what was wrong with earth is that everybody on Earth seems to think that every place everywhere is a utopia. But in seeing the way things are on Bajor or, or the way they are on DS9 or on this planet that Rafi is on, there it, it's clear that there is still a criminal element, there's still a drug element, even though everybody has you know anything they want at their fingertips or at least uh-huh. all their needs taken uh-huh. care of. Okay. There's still an aspect of criminal underbelly to the Federation and their allies. 
I'm going to bring up this phrase that I, I know I've mentioned it before, where someone said that Star Trek is Star Wars told by the Empire. Okay. So I wonder if you're just describing Star Wars again. I might have taken some inspiration from the fact that there was a canceled show that was going to be called Star Wars Underworld. Oh, my God. And it was God all based heaven. on... Anyway, so the other the other idea for a series of Star Trek that came out yes. of Star Trek Picard mm-hmm. is this idea about an anthology series featuring Section 31 and the Star Trek Titan crew. Oh. And with 100% of the vote, the non-Star Wars idea has won. Titan 31. Ooh, that would be a good title for it. 31 Titan. Titan 31, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Last week we had two nominees for the worst line of the episode. One was Shaw saying, Bring them all on board. We're basically a hotel now. Mm -hmm. And the other one was also Shaw, who suggested that we turn him over. And Mm -hmm. with 100% of the vote, uh, well, Shaw wins. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically for turn him over. The best line of the episode, the nomination was shared by Shaw, again, another nominee, with... We are essentially cornered in space, which has no corners. And the other choice was Worf, with... I told you, do not engage. And with 66.7% of the vote, mm-hmm. Shaw wins again. Really? Shaw's the big winner this week. Space has no corners. Here marks the end of our polls for last week's episode of Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 3, or what was it, 2? It was 2. Season 3, Episode 2, Yes. Disengage. All right. Shall we go to break? Yeah, let's do that. All right. We'll be RB. We'll be right back. That's what I said. <laughs> Hello, I'm Andrew from Unplanned Trek, and I've never listened to Let's Talk About Treks. And we're back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Welcome back, everyone, to B4. Do you think they put B4 on the screen on purpose? Do you think this is a little foreshadowing, B4? Hmm, maybe. Last week, I know that we had a brief conversation about the potentiality of having Titan, or maybe it wasn't last week, it may have been the week before, about mm-hmm. having Riker do a Titan series. Mm-hmm. And my pushback was something along the lines of, I think he's too old. And then again, they've responded to me (laughs) in this episode (laughs) by saying oh you don't think we can do it huh you know what i don't think they can because his hair looks too dyed in this scene you know it looks too perfectly black yeah his beard is nice here's the thing is that this is just a first try okay well not a first try like i know picard has done it in previous seasons we've seen a slightly younger picard i think that picard Mm -hmm. might mm, i don't even know if i want to say it i think the picard might be a little more difficult to do Okay. Like, I think there might be more effort they have to put into it. Yeah. Than Rikers. So, but I do, I think that they could potentially do it, you know, with a little bit more practice. Okay. So, good for them for practicing. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. We uh, come back to Act 1, where I was mentioning earlier, we're in 2381. We get our first Easter egg of the episode. Do we? What is it? When... Riker is talking about being called uh, to sickbay. The way he quotes it is very similar to uh, Kirk being called to sickbay in Star Trek huh. II. 
as well uh, as Spock at, in Star Trek Into Darkness. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. This whole delivery discussion, mm-hmm. I, I made note of it because I was like, "There, are they going to do something cool with the 17 seconds later? They <laughs> they did not do something very cool. They did something very uncool with the whole 17 seconds idea later, actually. Okay, yeah. Another thing we talked about last episode was the return rate of the legacy characters. Like, are we just going to, like, piece them out, like, once per episode? <laughs> there you go, yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> Apparently. I don't think either of us got that it was going to be Deanna this episode. Yeah. So who do you think it is next episode? <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're kind of running out of people. I mean, are, are we counting that uh, Brett Spiner was already in season one? Yeah, we're counting legacy characters is what we're talking about. I mean, there's only a few left. I guess Jordy might be next. Yeah, is that is it just Jordy and Brent Spiner who are left? Uh, yeah. Well, so there was that note that they said about we didn't tell you this other person's coming back, so it could be Wesley. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing this whole thing about like story structure, where it's like you take the first three episodes and you get into the you get into the trap, and you spend the next three episodes <laughs> like in the trap, and then you spend the last three episodes getting out of the trap. Mm-hmm. I think that I may have read something before the season started about like that's how they <laughs> intend to structure the season. So this would be actually the episode where we are finished getting into the trap. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which I sort of agree on. Like we are in the trap by the end of this episode. Just like Sneed was in the trap <laughs> last episode. Oh, right. Yeah. He's def- he was definitely in his he had his head in the noose. No, the trap, like, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> We get two good lines from this uh, scene. I did enjoy the story about the 17 seconds. I liked how they dropped in. You know, they gave us reference to the title there. And then when uh, Deanna says... Bring the whiskey. This weird thing happened that I didn't quite understand. So when Shaw asks for the report from the stern right and there's two officers mm-hmm. down there yeah there's like the one officer who later you know tells us the strike is appearing and then the other officer who later in the episode you know spoilers for this episode by the way <laughs> <laughs> uh the other officer who turns out to be a changeling like interrupts her and like yeah. finishes the report like what is that about like what did that even yeah was that scene that was totally rude i was wondering why well, yeah. he was cutting her off like that in the first place except maybe that's a hint that he's showing contempt for solids to not be able to do their job efficiently and he's just like yeah no i'm just gonna cut her off and be rude because i'm a changeling right like don't you think that's gonna like people are gonna start looking at you funny you, if you're a changeling and you're trying to hide among the crew you don't you don't want everybody looking at you funny right <laughs> like you think yeah. you'd be like really polite you know like don't don't worry about me don't worry about me guys i'm just over here being a nice guy you know i'd be like rutherford <laughs> like rutherford would make the perfect changeling like we would never know unless he was acting too much like rutherford what <clears throat> okay so the titan is shaken and Tavine reports that they've detected an electrical and biological signatures what do you think that's about i i'm still going back to there's something to do with moriarty just because it came up in the in the trailer so like my brain is consistently looking for the connection to that like what's where is it you know like i think that's reasonable (laughs) like constantly looking for whatever connects to the next thing that i saw in the trailer so i know that i saw moriarty and i'm still like stuck on she keeps detecting electrical and biological signatures. She does it many times during this episode, actually. Well, several yeah. times, I should say, during this episode. And 
it's enough that like everyone kind of ignores it <laughs> when she says it, but she says it multiple times. So like that's definitely they're definitely like it, they might as well just flash it on the screen for us. Electrical and biological <laughs> signatures check with like a little check mark. Like just just make sure you notice this. <laughs> yeah. So because they're making note of it, it's making me think that it must be important, right? So I'm trying to figure out what could be connected to it. So if I'm thinking electrical and biological, I'm thinking like hologram. Mm-hmm. So and then so that puts me in the trailer and Moriarty, and I'm like, well, I don't know how that's <laughs> connecting, but yeah, I mean, electrical and biological to me sounds like well, android or biological gas thing, you know, for like from Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biological aspect makes me think about changelings, and changelings can survive in space. They can? Oh, they can. I forgot about that. Could this be the uh, Rogue Changeling's uh, Great Link? Oh, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Because was the founder was the founder planet hidden in a nebula? It was hidden in a nebula, yeah, but they were on a solid, yeah. Right, right, that's what I'm saying. Like, So I'm wondering if maybe this is like just the same kind of nebula, like they're just hiding out in this place, because that's what they do. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't considered that. My brain was going to holograms just because we saw that in the trailer. I wonder if that's <gasps> maybe the trailer's a red herring. Would they would they dare to like do like a whole deep fake of Rene Bourgeois? Like, would that be like the surprise of the character that we didn't expect to see? I don't know if I want to make... see that. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But they wouldn't do that, would they? <laughs> yeah, I, you, you know, I mean, people really hated it when they did it with Peter Cushing. Is that one of the doctors? I don't think they want to. I, I don't know who that is. Peter Cushing was uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Okay. Star Wars against? Oh, God. So, I, I think that maybe CBS could learn their lesson from 20th Century Fox, and maybe they won't do that. Welcome to Let's Talk About Star Wars. Where we try to tie every single aspect of Star Trek into Star Wars as if they're the same thing when clearly they are not. If we were doing the funniest line though, which we are not because we have six poles and six <laughs> poles is enough, uh, there is a part where uh, Shaw says, you know, Anyone else want to throw more weird shit at me? <laughs> I'm glad that he's a good enough commander to know exactly when to relieve his officers and his officers are good enough to <laughs> not to argue back at all. And yeah. I was thrown way off by the orchestral music as everyone was departing. It took me like four times through to figure out where that music was coming from. Oh, right. Yeah, we're uh, listening to Mozart's Ave Verum Corpus K618. More specifically, Seven of Nine is listening to it. Yes. Yeah, it took me a while to understand that they were just doing like an artistic crossfade and we were hearing Seven's music as the people were exiting the bridge. So they were literally crossing the bridge as the crossfade was happening. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what is she doing, by the way? Like, is she, is she like trying to take apart a self sealing salt shaker <laughs> or like a well, tripod? What is, what is she, what is she, is well, she building first... a model? I think she's working on a model. I couldn't make out what the model was supposed to be, but mm -hmm. the first thing we see is an Easter egg of the Star Trek Voyager model. I'm going to go back to the whole the whole world of Easter eggs. I don't think that it counts as an Easter egg. Okay. Like, if, if it's an Easter egg, then Seven of Nine is an Easter egg. Okay. Like, I just think the world is made of Easter eggs. Okay. So I think we need to refine <laughs> our definition of Easter eggs. Like, maybe it's the Easter egg. Like, the music 
that that I think can count as an Easter egg. I think that I'm getting more and more away from things that are on screen are like things that are clearly on screen and plain are Easter eggs, but things like Amanda Plummer spinning in her chair, like Christopher Plummer as Chang, like that's an Easter egg, right? Okay. I think that now we have to be a little more clever with our Easter eggs because the Easter eggs are what in encompass the entire world, <laughs> comprise the entire world. The entire universe is comprised of Easter eggs at this point. There is an entire okay. East, there's an entire universe of Easter eggs. Okay. For instance, like later in the episode, there's a guy who's wearing a like a black uniform with a stripe on it that's kind of similar to the season one uniform. Not an Easter egg. Okay. LaForge visits Seven, and LaForge is noticeably uncomfortable. How does she seem uncomfortable? Seven points it out and what I thought was a good line when she says it sounds rehearsed. Okay. It, it is rehearsed. It should be rehearsed. She's nervous about talking to Seven, so she practiced to make sure that she wouldn't screw it up while she was doing it. Of course it yeah. sounds rehearsed. If I were going to speak with Seven and I had a particular message to communicate to Seven, I would rehearse mm -hmm. it. <laughs> because okay. I know how Seven can be. And I know that she would shut me down in four words and like just be being herself. So yes, I'm gonna rehearse what I'm saying. To this robotic lady. But then LaForge talks about her father. She comes down there and like discusses her father and herself. And while last episode I was saying, oh, that would be like, that's a, that's a cool little quirk of her character, but like, is that really all that she's going to do? Like, is that gonna be her whole thing? <laughs> now she did do a cool little move on the pad this day, sim on, on her, um, on the flight console today, similar to, Ortegas's amazing move that blew me away. Um, I think we might be getting close to dipping too often into that well of, let me talk about Jordy. It could be a hint that Jordy will be in the next episode if they're talking about him so much. I don't know if anybody can be added to the show right now, <laughs> to the Titan part. I would like Jordy to show up and say, hey, do you do that all the time? Do you always, can you stop <laughs> doing that? <laughs> That's embarrassing. That's gotta be annoying. I did like the line when LaForge calls Commander Hansen Commander Seven. Yes, Commander Seven. Yeah, I did appreciate her lending her support and making sure that she knows that she was being seen. Although I don't, you know, not that we don't want to hit the idea of people wanting to be seen over the, you know, <laughs> anyone's head with that idea, but I did like it. Okay. I think that Dr. Oak has a great name for a symbiont. I don't think it's the one I would have thought of. I remember back in the day when I was like making up symbiont names for, you know, mm -hmm. online role-playing games. Because you understand like the Vulcan convention being like uh, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, right? Mm -hmm. And then so I guess like what we knew of the symbiont name system was basically three letters, even though Odan was four letters for sure. But everyone was sticking <laughs> to like, you know, similar to Tal, Dax. So Oak mm -hmm. tells me that Oak is likely a joined show because it sounds like a symbiote name. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I don't think that it was a wise idea for uh, Jack to say that. Jack, what do you say? Nothing you she I... has to say can't be said in front of me. Because like, mm -hmm. what if she wanted to be like, you know, Jean-Luc, I'm still moist for you. <laughs> you know, Jean-Luc, I've been having dreams about you and candles. And... I mean, I, I think a lot of people get squirmy when they hear about their parents or grandparents, you know, getting it on or whatever. Jack quickly leaves with Riker. Mm -hmm. And finally, we get Picard and Dr. Space Mom 
get a moment alone together. Remember last episode, we had a conversation about like when could have this whole thing happened with Picard, yeah, and Beverly. Yeah. So they've they've they've. I mean, not retconned, I guess, because like we we weren't. There's a lot of there's a lot of implications during what she explains because she says that it was like two months before they left the Enterprise, or two months before she mm-hmm. left the Enterprise, right? Yeah. So yeah. apparently, twenty years ago, she was on the Enterprise, but she she said that they they called him back early right so mm-hmm. it must have been like when they called him back early she never came back mm-hmm. okay because would she have been able to hide herself being pregnant and being aboard the ship Did because like you're required to do like scans and stuff like you have to be cleared for duty yeah. when you get aboard the oh, ship oh right yeah right so the maybe the the assistant chief medical officer would have been the one to do it and might have, you know, by protocol would have needed to say, yeah. hey, captain, you have a chief medical officer who is pregnant, right? <laughs> so that says yeah. to me, she must have never come back to the Enterprise from their night on Casparia mm-hmm. Prime. Okay, yeah. The the thing about their relationship becomes like really very real, like very mm-hmm. realistic for me when he says that they had broken up like five times. <laughs> yeah. He also yeah. was like, remember, remember it was like, he was like, but it was it was the fifth time we broke up. LOL. Like, like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. One but, of the things that just just occurred to me. Do you think they went to Asperia Prime as a part of like a minor leave after Data died to kind of help them process their loss? I mean, I guess we aren't being specific about the dates. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, okay. we haven't seen anything since then, so I imagine. Okay. If we were going to elect a sick, sickest burn. Picard says, You made the choice for me. That kind of resonated with some of the things that are going on today with birth control and Roe versus Wade dying a little bit. Mm, eh, in a sense. I see um, his side of it. I think that I think that coming back at her about the nine-day window, I don't think that was fair because I don't think that he really thought that she had given him a nine-day window. I think that that was ridiculous and that was like a snapback out of emotion. Yeah, I think so too. Because I also very clearly see Beverly's side of, you know, like the... Two Lehman assassins intercepted the ship in the Denatra mm-hmm. sector and held a disruptor to your head. Starfleet asks you to negotiate with the Praetor and a photon mm-hmm. grenade detonates meters from you. Like, I, I get the idea of like someone was always after him, but I don't get the idea behind like, don't we have like nearly instantaneous subspace communications? Like, couldn't you say, hey, by the way, just so you know, there's mm-hmm. this thing. I'm going to stay away because it seems like there's a lot going on and I don't want the kid to get hurt. Like, no shade, nothing wrong. Like, whenever you're ready, you know, come yeah. see us. But, like, I just want to make sure that we stay clear because you got a lot going on right now. Like, that yeah. would have been that would have been reasonable to do, which he actually speaks to because he's like, um, what could have been had I known? Right. But yeah. then but then also like that seems like that wouldn't have been fair either because if she had told him then he would have been forced to shirk his responsibility. Oh, you're right. That didn't occur to me. But I mean again, that's her making that choice for for him. Mm. Is saying, I know what you because that's what he would have done. Well, yeah. I, mean, I don't know what he would have Yeah, I think he would have done that. Yeah. So like she didn't want to tell him because she wanted him to be somebody that he actually no longer was. And maybe that's why the whole thing didn't work out. Yeah. Because by the universe, he should have been hanging out with his son. Yeah. 
Well, and I like that when she kind of says, like you just said, somebody who he no longer is, I like how we fill out why he was so, quote, afraid or uncomfortable around children. We did? What, what was that? He, he doesn't want to be his father. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are like that, and that just kind of helps connect him to other people that are also afraid of being turning into their own father. Sure. There, there's a lot of times with me that kind of connected with me because my mom will talk about how, oh, Earl, you don't want to talk that way. That's the way your da- dad used to talk. Mm. I kind of connected with Picard when he was uncomfortable around children. Mm. I am uncomfortable around children and still uncomfortable around children. Partly because I don't know how to socially interact with them very well because uh, maybe a partly because of the autism. Another part, you know, is partially slightly because of that fear of who I could become. Mm. So you connect very deeply with Picard in this moment. Yes. It's interesting. So now there's a triple entendre uh, when Picard's like, You don't get to condemn people before the fact. You've kind of, you and him, him more in the past and you in, I guess what we're talking about contemporarily, um, have condemned yourselves before the fact. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. This conversation is crucial, and I think it's important, and I think that it's a great use of these characters. I think that this situation that they're in, while there's an underlying, like, there's a, there's a very low current of, like, want want like, cheesy, like, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, it's our, our kids that we, I haven't seen you in 20, like, that's, it's kind of like, well, little want but like but i think that it's being handled very well i think that this conversation that beverly and picard uh, Be- why am i giving her first name and giving him last name i do that too i think that there's a problem with that i, I just heard it for the first time and realized oh, that's interesting <laughs> although i'm gonna defend my by myself by saying that in this season there are two crushers so there is a differentiation yeah yeah i mean i i'll typically have been using Jack for Jack Crusher and sometimes just Crusher or Dr. Crusher or Beverly for Beverly. Yeah, I think that um, Picard far far too early and far too easily puts Dr. Crusher off mm-hmm. and like it's almost as if he's won the conversation like she's been put in her place <laughs> but what what I thought was if I, I think if we had if we were doing a um, most poetic line, I think mm-hmm. that I would choose when Beverly was doing her whole list, you know, whereas she was like, I lost my parents, then a husband, then my son Wesley, mm-hmm. all to the same stars that mm-hmm. own you. It's all yeah. true. It sucks. Like the way she puts it, it's true. All of that is true, and all yeah. of that is terrible. And I and in that moment, I understand. Oh, of course you took Jack somewhere else. Like, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone around you, you're losing, you always lose all all of the men in your life. You lose them to the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So keep them away. But then the thing is, you got a ship and you went out there and you started doing stuff in space. Like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, Beverly. Yeah. <laughs> As you said, you're going to protect him. And you got him around Fenris Rangers. You got him around like, Ryan's. Like, what? It's a little, it, it's it's a great speech, and I like the sentiment, and I get I can get behind it, but it's also like yeah. a little bit, a little bit twofold. The part of this episode, I, 
I spend this episode like, uh, you know, when I go back through like the second, the third, and the fourth time, I'm looking for <laughs> the additional changeling. Oh, okay. So for a minute, I thought maybe it was Beverly Crusher. Oh. And I was like, well, maybe because I was thinking, well, maybe, probably one of the legacy characters is going to end up being a changeling, right? Because that would be an amazing twist. Well, yeah. It's like this character we've seen this whole time is actually not this character. It's actually been a changeling. So I could see, so I could see like the the duality of her purpose, and I'm going to keep him safe. I'm going to go be unsafe with him. Like that's that's a little duplicitous. Like so, I don't know if that's just an an artifact of the writing or if. You know, <laughs> Are we saying she's a, like my idea behind that was overturned later? I don't remember why. We'll probably get to it later. Okay. Well, that's a good thing that you brought up because one of the things that changelings can often do do is when they're in private or where they don't think they'll get caught, they can change who they are being in that moment. And at any given point, any of these scenes could have been, oh, that mm. was actually the changeling. And, you know, I never would have behaved that way or whatever. Yeah, very interesting that we brought the changelings into this because, like, now I'm looking around all the corners. <laughs> uh, maybe that's what they want, though, too, because they I remember think so. that wasn't in the, the Dominion so. War. Jack's like, the, Jack's like, stop looking at me walking back and forth like a lunatic. Like, what, what else really, am I supposed yeah. to be looking at? <laughs> Really quickly, there was another great line, speaking of Jack, when Picard asks, Jack, this accent. And it's like, yeah, we were talking about this last episode. Yeah, you, you were talking about it the last couple of episodes. Where did this accent come from? It's, yeah, like, so her explanation I found interesting because she said that he <laughs> went to school in London and he never shook it. Yeah. How long did he? He's 20, exactly. He's 20 years old. How long was yeah. school? Well. Like, it, when did school end? He's 20. Yeah, 18? Okay. I mean, we graduated high school at 18. So he went from 18 to like smuggling medicines. 18 in school to straight to smuggling. And because that's, I mean, he's been doing it for, he's been doing the medicine smuggling thing for a while, long enough to get a name in the business and long enough to have done enough capers that he has like six different pseudonyms, right? Well, yeah. So when was there time yeah. to do? Well, I mean, is he a full doctor? I don't think that he's a no. I mean, if he were, one would presume if he were, he would still be in school. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we again, we don't know how it works in the twenty fourth century. Yeah, I would like my doctor to be educated, you know, a little bit longer than <laughs> you know, two two years. Yeah, I mean, who who knows? I mean, training under <laughs> training under Beverly Crusher, you probably end up being a doctor after a little time, but probably more than two years. Yeah, because she definitely said earlier they're going to need us, not just her. Huh. And I think he does do some stuff later on in sickbay of his own. Yeah, he helping. has a great bedside manner. Although certainly some nurse degrees are only two years. Yeah. And he got a head start like an AP biology in like high school. Yeah. And he could already be nurse level of educated. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Uh, point being. Uh, how long was school? When was he there? Like, because yeah. did he grow up in London all that time? Like, like, was he just across the river? Like the whole time that Picard was living there in <laughs> France? Like, how long was she just just across a river away from him? Oh, and like, she, she never thought to be like, oh, by the way, we're over because it's he's twenty, right? So Picard's yeah. been on Earth for at least five years. So are you saying mm -hmm. that when he was fifteen, you had him out smuggling medicines? 
Because if not, you were living across <laughs> a river from him. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking about the English Channel. So I'm going back to Changeling. I'm going now. I'm going back to Changeling. I'm putting I'm putting uh -huh. Mark in the Changeling Mark uh, <laughs> side for Beverly. Well, speaking about suspicion that you know there's other Changelings, mm -hmm. Beverly hesitates before she gives the reason why Jack didn't want to contact Picard. It's almost like she was like trying to remember her lines or <laughs> it, did, did, did that little hesitation seem a little sus to you no i think it was more like she didn't want to say it or didn't you know oh, okay. didn't was trying to figure out exactly how he to say it decided not the to. fact is yeah the fact is that the whatever opinion jack has of jean-luc is formed yes. by beverly mm -hmm. the only thing she knows of john the only thing he knows of jean-luc is through official media and beverly mm -hmm. so the only personal yeah. opinion that he could have of him would be straight from Beverly. So for her to put it on Jack, well, Jack didn't want to see you. It's like mm -hmm. when the kids come home from visiting the stepfather on, you know, Monday, they're like, I don't want to, we don't want to live. We want to live with daddy. Like <laughs> you're only saying that because daddy told you to say that. Like the, she, he has no reason to like, I don't want to meet him. Like yeah. even later when he's like the more, the, the bigger the legend, the more disappointing the reality. Yeah. Mm. You, but you know, Beverly. <laughs> like, she's a big you, figure. Are you let down by her? You you mentioned uh, official media. Are the logs of a pseudo military ship public domain? Well, it depends on what they decide to release. I'm sure that there's like things oh, like okay. FOIA requests, and you know, there's public you know stuff that's oh, okay. available to the public. I mean, it's not like they send you a publication. <laughs> you yeah. know, Picard's logs, but like you know, there's probably some stuff that's yeah. public or there's reporting on it. And then there's also oh, the okay. fact that, you know, he grew up with Beverly Crusher, who probably has access to a whole bunch yeah. of stuff, including her own she, records, yeah. which tell a lot, which probably extol the virtues of Jean-Luc Picard as well. Oh yeah. I guess I didn't think about her own loves. Huh. Jack telling Riker not mm -hmm. to stare at him as they're in a small hallway and he's just pacing back and forth like a lunatic like <laughs> i don't think that's fair <laughs> like clearly if you didn't want someone to look at you would you would make yourself a little smaller and not be so conspicuous yeah, yeah i mean if i was if i was standing there in Riker's position and he was walking pacing back and forth i'd be like watching him and i'm like dude can you like you're wearing a groove in the floor yeah well, i mean i get distracted easy but i mean that's definitely movement that would distract almost anybody this is like a limbic system thing like you know like jack's jack yeah. really wants to say something or talk to like he wants to know what's going on in that room mm -hmm. he, he starts yeah. throwing the picard shade that is apparently his mother taught him <laughs> <laughs> including the thing about the soong type golem that he's in <laughs> yeah Wait, so and i'm glad to hear a confirmation about you know Riker knowing that not only knowing that Picard is now positron but also un completely understanding that Picard is the same person like it's good to hear it from yeah. Riker saying that he's still the yeah. same man yeah could you parallel that with somebody post transition saying that they're still the same person like a, a gender transition uh, I suppose well okay. it, it depends on the person some people well, view themselves yeah. as a different individual once they've completed their transition. Oh, okay. And like they're not they're literally not the same person. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. in some cases you could. But it's good yeah. to value that the you know, the person that's inside is the more valuable part of the individual. Yeah. You know, there I it, this just occurred to me. There is a it could be an Easter egg. We'll see. I noticed a African human and an Orion walking by. I think that might be a little bit of a nod to Lord Dex and Rutherford and Tindy. 
you know, yeah. maybe they're they're okay. Free. I mean, <clears throat> no, I know the Orion wasn't. Anyway, so Crusher, Beverly Crusher, I should say, <laughs> brings me back to this this whole like because she's doing this whole this whole she's the one who first starts bringing up changelings, right? I don't realize the first time that they're talking about changelings, but once changelings come up later, I'm like, oh, that's that's what this is because she says that we were on a supply run to Sarnia Prime and Jack was jumped by Fenris Rangers. Then Klingons boarded us a day later. They were trying to take him. Then went to Starfleet, is it, and still is it they came for Jack? Him. Everywhere we go, someone turns on us. Uh -huh. It's. Do you think it's something that they're carrying with them? Someone, something they have with them? Like maybe did they destroy her ship? Because you know, Odo used to hide as like pieces of clothing and uh -huh. people's personal possessions. Like maybe it's the pot that she came in. Like what? What do you think it is? Like there's something with them. Well, you mentioned clothing. It could be any either of their clothing, though. Yeah, too. Neither the, changing. the changeling that's aboard the Titan got there before they got there. Because he was there when Picard and Riker first came aboard. They, unless he was replaced. He nah, he was he was acting funny. Like they they showed him acting funny on purpose. I'm sure it's to, oh, okay. to clue us in that yeah he's this guy's. They were trying to like point him out. Like hey look at this guy. Look at this guy. Look at this weird guy. <laughs> yeah. So just to make us know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that weird guy. Right. I I know they when they first arrived on the ship he stopped at two people. Was he the one that he adjusted his combat? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh okay. If he adjusted his combat, but I know that when they walked away and he was behind them he looked at them he turned and looked at them funny mm, okay so that was that was i feel the producers pointing out to us okay so everywhere they go someone turns on them i'm like wait are there changelings everywhere is that the idea <laughs> that we're supposed to get because they're already there's one on the titan Mm -hmm. And if they're everywhere they go, like I, I, I don't see the changelings predicting where they're gonna go. So, <laughs> is there maybe like one stationed everywhere? Well, like already, there there might have had to been a backup plan in case the other one was discovered. They still need to have somebody to sabotage the ship. No, no, no. I'm saying like everywhere they go, there's a changeling. So, are there changelings everywhere? Oh, I see what you're saying. That's something i hadn't considered is it like just happening everywhere they go oh okay you know with with everything she said earlier about mm -hmm. she wanted to go tell picard but then you know this happened and the other happened and the other thing happened and it was like she just mm -hmm. never you know got a time even when they were living a river across from each other to tell him about his son <laughs> but like when things started happening to her she should uh -huh. have expected it from all that she just said mm -hmm. she should have expected it to lead back to him yeah I mean, except the the summary does talk about how Starfleet it's a long forgotten enemy. So maybe there was a, a special campaign to put the changelings out of people's mind and distract them from. <laughs> What's wild? Okay, so when Picard comes and retrieves Riker, and Riker's like, "Hey, what what, what happened? What's going on?" <laughs> he tries to shrug it off, and he's like, "Well, it's irreparable." Yeah. What is he doing right here? <laughs> like th so this is this is the first part where I first start getting a suspicion okay maybe it's not Crusher maybe it's Picard oh maybe he's the changeling because like why is he like he, he, does he call it like inconsequential or something I don't yeah I, like it doesn't matter like like what is he talking about what did Beverly say it's immaterial yeah like what what does that do you think it's just because he's scared maybe it's just because he's scared 
and he just doesn't want to face it. Like it's he's more familiar and comfortable with facing stuff aboard a starship and facing an enemy down than like trying to deal with difficult like with with family issues. He's not really he he doesn't really deal with family issues very well. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put the word scared on it, but there are bigger things that they have to handle now that are more pertinent right now than there are. Oh, for uh, sure. For sure. Yeah. Especially after the, you know, Captain Vatic fires and then Shaw mm -hmm. goes flying across the bridge like he's right. the first officer of the Voyager. You know what I noticed in this scene? I don't. No rocks. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have rocks aboard the Titan. What's up with that? They don't get the standard rock complement aboard the Titan. Maybe they have to go mine some. That's probably the problem. They don't have enough yeah. food aboard, so they can't make the rocks. No, maybe, maybe maybe they have. Maybe that's where they were going when they were supposed to do the the right. little shakedown cruise for the oh, foundation. The rocks. The rocks won't be installed until next Tuesday. <laughs> You know, on an aside, talking about this battle and they're showing outside of the ship, I've noticed that there's a significant change in the design of the shield. Whatever happened to the big oval mm -hmm. shield mm -hmm. bubble? Yeah, now it's just like static across the skin of the ship. I noticed that. That's been a yeah. pretty consistent change in Star Trek these days. Well, I mean, are there two types of shields? Is there, <sighs> are, have they already lost the oval one and they're relying on the skin tighten ones? I don't know. I like the ones that stay far away from you now the idea of yeah. the strength of ones that can be that close to the skin and then you of, of the ship and then you still can't yeah. be hurt like even by yeah. a physical force like that's those are amazing shields right but i do okay. like the bubble that keeps you know stuff away <laughs> from the ship like i kind of prefer that yeah that so shaw shaw angrily gives Riker, Riker's old job back. <laughs> well and that this is what won me my mvp for this episode who's this shaw okay because for giving riker's he's, old job back yeah i don't know if he i didn't pick up that he was angry doing it i thought he was just choking on his own blood when he's trying to talk no he but, was like you fucking did this you fucking fix it <laughs> transfer command captain william riker protest authorization shaw 12 11. I'm like, yeah, he's willingly giving this up because he knows he can't do anything more. He, yeah, well, yeah, that, absolutely. But he just, he definitely said, this is your fault, you fix this. Although I like the little adage of pro temp because it's only going to be for until I can get back to the bridge. Oh, I, you know, for sure. Really just just so we're clear. Yeah. The this, this little maneuver where you like shoot your torpedo out and then you shoot your torpedo with a phaser, is that now the Riker maneuver? Because it's like a new. I don't remember seeing anybody do this before. I mean, it's a it's a pretty simple idea. Yeah, it, it yeah. It's, I, uh, how is it supposed to be more effective? Well, I think so. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like a little bit of surprise, right? Because you expect the mm. that that. So the enemy's expecting that you are expecting the torpedo to come all the way to them, and if they can deflect it, then they're just like, oh, I'm just going to deflect it. But if you then detonate it close enough to them, then they mm. need they have to back away from it to not okay. get hit by the by the shock wave of it. So it's a little bit more like a grenade today yeah. has more impact with the shock wave yeah. and the shrapnel than if you were to like put a, I don't know, your helmet over it that sh 
Is, is a helmet going to be strong enough? Or something big, strong and metal. If you're standing there with a with a tennis racket, right, and I'm going to throw uh-huh. a grenade at you, and you're going to bop that tennis that, oh, that grenade back away, right? <laughs> but if I shoot the grenade before you can hit it with the racket, then it's going to explode in your face. Yeah. Okay. This is also Picard finishing Riker's sandwich, too. No, it's not. It's just Picard well, being in the cheesy. Okay. Oh, finishing like where like he's like he's gonna okay, so it's like an alley oop where it's like he's gonna describe the thing and then Picard's like, Oh yeah, 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 I got you, we're gonna do it. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess so. Yeah. I mean they're very used to doing that. They're very used to doing that in the opposite order, though. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, and soon after that we get my funniest line. Okay. Which we don't have, but okay. I had one as oh, well. Oh, that's right. We don't. It's okay. I had well, one as well. Well, see, I mean, I have several nominations for best line. Well, I think it might be time you called me number one. Yeah. Yeah. See, if I were going to have cheesiest line of the episode, that would be the cheesiest line of the episode. Oh, okay. So it is the cheesiest line of the episode, in my opinion, that will take us <laughs> okay. to... Um, what is this, our second break? Uh, yeah, that's that's our second break. Okay. We'll be going into Act 2. We'll be... Shall we take a break? That's what I was saying. So yes, 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 we shall. We'll be right back. We will, we'll be back. And after these messages, we'll. Okay. Hi, this is Isaac from Unplanned Trek. Just letting you know that I've never ever heard of. Let's talk about Treks. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Me. <laughs> yes, you. <laughs> I think that. The La Serena is a perfect mm-hmm. environment for Worf. Why is that? When we see, when we come back and we see Worf doing his, you know, calisthenics there in front of the aft, that aft big old light of this La Serena, it's almost as if that mm-hmm. that space was made for Worf. Mm, okay. It just looks great. It does, and he's actually listening to La Troyan from uh, written by Berlioz, which is the same piece of music that. Card was listening to on in his ready room in first contact. Huh? Is that an Easter egg? That is an Easter egg. Yes. That, I, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yes, that's an Easter. I think that's an Easter egg. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and by the way, pardon my French. That was the best I could do for the name of the piece. Oh, the literally, office. pardon your foot's amusing. <laughs> I don't know. I should have. I meant to look it up, but I didn't look it up to see who has the most titles. Whether it's Emperor Eoponius Augustus, but. <laughs> All of all of his titles would make perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, they, and I, it makes me realize that the I'll bet you that the Klingons hold um, him accountable for the death of Lursa and Vitor as well, mm-hmm. which I hadn't considered oh, oh. before. Like, so in the Klingon Empire, he basically decimated the entire Duras clan except for Toral. Yeah. Okay. Now being the bane of the Duras family. Yeah, that kind yeah. of does make sense. Yeah. And he would have been at tactical. Wasn't he the one who fired? Yeah, he would have been the one yeah. who, yeah, absolutely. So he yeah. killed the Duras sisters, he killed Duras, he just didn't kill Toral, and that's only because someone said let him go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said, wasn't it him that said, was it him or Picard that said let him go? I, I don't really recall, I was just making a joke. Oh, okay. We get a better look at Worf's blade, and it's definitely not a mechleth. Oh, it's not? It's not. It's a curleth. Oh, sure. Okay. It is a longer, pointier blade, and it's got a handle or a, a grip near the end of the pointy end. Sure. He also throws a, a dick tag. 
into the floor. Yes. So that he can distract army, uh, distract army, distract Rafi, and then disarm her. I thought that weapon that she had, the gun that she had, was interesting. It's got all these finger holes. Does it? Can it? Does that mean it can be doubled as brass knuckles? Yes, that's made for pistol whipping people. <laughs> um, okay. Or disruptor whipping people. I, I thought it was kind of interesting slash odd how it kind of glowed in the end until you let go. What is it? Sort of like a Romulan disruptor in in those old scientists era where you know the 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 torpedo disruptor it glows for a second and then it discharges so as long as you pull back the trigger a little bit with the hair trigger then it starts to glow but i don't know is that a little bit too clue too much of a clue that you are about to get shot or whether you're not about to get shot i don't think that it matters whether you know you're going to get shot or not i think if you're going to get shot well it's going to happen yeah or not. If it's not glowing, then you know you have more time to disarm the other person. If it is glowing, you're like, gonna put your arms up and be, you know, please don't shoot. Mm, I see. Just a little indicator. By the way, I have a loaded weapon. <laughs> yeah. It really is loaded. There are bullets in this. What do you think exactly is the Starfleet Wharf relationship? Because he says, my concerns align with theirs. Yeah. But, so, like, how many orgs how many organizations do you think there are like this that exist? Because the Fenris Rangers seem to also have ideals that align with the Federation for the most part. And then mm-hmm. sort of Beverly has like her own little LLC <laughs> whose values <laughs> align with the Federation. And then like Starfleet mm-hmm. has another, like he's got like a CBO <laughs> apparently that provides services to people in the Federation that the government themselves don't provide. Like, what's what do you think the oversight is of this kind of organization? Like, who who watches the watchers? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I hadn't thought that deeply about it. I mean, I, he isn't he an ambassador in the books? Yeah, I mean, he be, he became the ambassador to the Klingon Empire, but this is now twenty years later, and he didn't keep that job for twenty years. So, so you don't think he's directly a part of Starfleet intelligence right now? I mean, he could be. Like he, he oh, okay. the, the answer to the question that he gave was kind of squirrely. Mm. You know, like, if you were in Section 31, yeah. would you say, oh, I'm in Section 31? Probably not. Because he just says, our ideals align. Mm-hmm. So their ideals align, but not necessarily their actions. So this is like oh, one okay. of those arms of the government. This is like a Blackwater, right? Where they can contract a different organization to do stuff that the Federation can't do. Mm. Okay. Like, you need a Klingon killed? Hire Worf. you see people all all the time on the news being described as being a cia agent and it's always occurred to me that it's kind of contradictory to admit that they're a spy but there are other agencies in the united states that are more secretive than just this you know the surface level cia that their ideologies align with the united states government but they don't necessarily do things the way of the military or the CIA or the FBI. Right. Like they do the things that you wouldn't want to have the government get caught doing. Yeah. So you're just like, you have another organization that will do it. That's yeah. generally crewed by people who used to be part of the government Yeah. <laughs> in some way. Well, I mean, nobody knew about what was the name of the SEAL Team 6 or whatever that sure. went to kill Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Until... Well, they even still didn't release their names. They wouldn't even release the name of the dog. So, yeah, so this is the kind of thing that you would want people knowing that the government is doing, right? 
mm. the things like you that you wouldn't want to know the government was doing would be like selling arms for hostages or <laughs> helping to overthrow a dictator of a small banana republic you know that kind of thing you know like you send in okay. you send in your wharfs to do that oh okay. wharf can you take down the governor of Krios real quick he's being a problem i mean he did take literally take down the uh uh the governor of Kronos. you're talking about the klingon high chancellor the, the, yeah the chancellor i mean sort of wasn't he a changeling <laughs> at the time no, he took out down Gowron at the end of the series. Oh, I don't know why I thought. I guess I may have thought that Gowron was a, a changeling or something. I I probably need to go back and review that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that we were tying it into what I think was the best line of the episode, which was when Worf says that there is something coming. I have known it for a while. Like I thought that that was supposed to be connecting back to like I've seen I've seen changelings on their way and I, I could tell that's what something's going on right here because mm -hmm. like when he gives that line I'm just like oh my god what <laughs> like Worf's worried about something that's coming it's not good news <laughs> yeah okay so then my my next clue to the idea that maybe Picard is a changeling is so remember last episode we were talking about how Shaw was viewing them as viewing Picard and Riker as you know wanting to rush in all the time you know mm -hmm. that that's what they do when, and our conversation was something more along the lines of they're a lot more reserved and they're more calculated about the things they do. Well, in this moment, Picard wants to rush right in. Mm -hmm. And Riker's the one that's got to temper him. Okay. So that's why I'm like, is Picard a changeling right now? The question I have about this scene is how long has it been since we cut away from the bridge last time? Because LaForge and the others are back on the bridge. Did they get any sleep? So maybe everyone who was up there got injured. Remember, there's a whole big thing that happened. Oh, right. Um, like, a lot of times when you go to battle stations, you got to bring your, your alpha crew out, even though, you know, it's it's not their time they yet. They just won off. Yeah, they just like, won off. Okay. Yeah, like, a, a whole thing just happened. Like, every, mm -hmm. probably a lot of people on the bridge got injured. I don't know how Picard and Riker didn't get injured. Because weren't they? They were also standing up. Yeah, they were just coming off the turbo lift. Yeah. So they had far, shorter distance to fall. What? When the whole bridge blew up. What do you mean they had a shorter distance to fall? Is it because they're shorter? I don't know. No, because mean? they're closer to the wall that they were, you know, walking away from. Oh, yeah. And... My point is they didn't even fall. That's oh, what I'm getting at. Yeah. All okay. right. So the blood droplets, are is that foreshadowing the uh, Slow down. bleeding? Slow down. Okay. God damn it. Um. That was a good way, though. You did. That was pretty good. I, the way you got to that was great. You moved a little fast forward. Um, okay. But there's a there's like a, another little freak signature, right? Because we revolve around this whole scene of Jack, um, you know, displaying his his bedside manner, and then mm -hmm. Freaks puts us right into another scene. You know, it's just over their shoulder with uh, with Beverly, and this is the part where. Uh, friend of the pod Isaac pointed out that you know when we go over to Shaw and the bed there's all these before well, just before we go over there there's all these people like standing around like doing stuff right mm -hmm. and then when Beverly goes over to uh, Oak and Shaw everyone clears out <laughs> so his question was like why were all these people there in the first place like this guy going through this huge trauma and there's like a crowd of people around him for some reason <laughs> so that I think that's a great question well, maybe it's like a, a musical when all the other actors in the background freeze 
to bring the focus onto the person that's singing the song. This is the focus needs to come to the this group of people and their performance, so the other background characters just walk off stage left and stage right. I don't I don't think he meant in the context of the production of the show. I think that's uh-huh. clear what that's that's that was. I think it was just pointing out the quirkiness in universe of uh, the, well, the entire crowd around him and then they just have to walk away. Like we maybe we could have started without the crowd there. Yeah. Well, I mean, in universe of a musical, when all the why, why would you stand still when somebody starts to sing, or why does somebody randomly start to sing in universe of a musical? You know that who does that? If someone started singing in the middle of like the day and you're just like going about your business, wouldn't you stop? <laughs> I would immediately stop and stare I at them. Stop and stare at them. Like, yeah. Dude, you want to be in a musical? That's what they do. People stop and they <laughs> stare, and then every time you look at somebody else, you follow their eye line, okay. and they're watching the person who's singing. That's what we do in regular life. Is all the world a stage? <laughs> well. According to Shakespeare, it is. Beverly's showing us the the way the the way to do medicine out there on the frontier aboard the aboard the Big D. Apparently, Oak is too used to all of her instruments and stuff. So, like, yeah. it's funny how the she's now converted into like the the older, you know, bones ish sort of character as far as the medicine part of it. Like, I you know, like okay. I know all the I know all the tips and tricks and stuff, you know, because now I've been around well, for a while and this this little young trill doesn't know what the hell she's doing. Yeah, I mean, you'd figure the Trill would have some life experience that would allow her to acknowledge that Beverly is using field medicine, that you can't always rely on sensors all the time for everything. Yeah. And her line about, oh, it would take you me longer to explain everything with new technology than it would for me to just do everything myself. It's like, how do you know? I mean, doctors are obligated to do further education all the time. She is still a doctor. How do you know is she? she's not been keeping? Is she? Well, she's like people who are people who are licensed have to keep up with um, like continuing education, yeah. and they have to learn yeah. the new things, you know, and learn the new systems, all that. Yeah, that's what you said. If you don't have a license, no one's requiring you to do that. Is what I'm getting at. Well, why would she lose her license? Why would she renew it if she's on the run? If she's trying to hide, she doesn't want to do things that are on the record. How's how's she going to get certified without Starfleet pinging? This is where Crusher is. She's well, she's trying to stay away from people, isn't she? Yeah. Oh, back aboard the bridge, Tavine has to remind us once more about the biological and electrical components of this nebula. I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be a life form. When they kept on bringing it up, and I had time to think about it between my first viewing and second viewing, that's. Mm-hmm. When I came up with my idea about, well, could it be a life form? Could it? Mm-hmm. I'm and my first assumption was a space-born life form, or a you know maybe some sort of Boltzmann brain. A what? Boltzmann brain. Boltzmann brain. Yeah, like from the Elysian Kingdom, one of the episodes of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, where there was a nebula that was a Boltzmann brain that Himmer explained to us what that was, where basically it's a a, a neurological system just spontaneously forms based on currents and eddies in a nebula. I had forgotten about that. Okay. Uh, I was just thinking maybe it was some sort of uh, nest kind of area. What am I thinking of? I don't know. A A hive? Maybe a hive, but... A hideout? An asteroid base? (laughs) (laughs) 
no, not quite. Just just a nur- a nurturing kind of place where a nursery, you know, a, a space born creature nursery. I'm glad you got there. <laughs> a stellar nursery, as it were, not for stars. Yeah. yeah. This is a this is another example. Jackson's really Jack tries hard every episode to be the least valuable player <laughs> because he one hundred percent knows that he can't get to the bridge right now. It's clearly red alert. But also, and Jack he likes to bring he likes to drag someone down with him, right? So like the other guy <laughs> in the scene, like that guy knows that we can all see that it's red alert. There is no reason mm-hmm. for him to tell Jack it's red alert. Like we all know it's red alert. So this is the least valuable scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the point? Of, why? Why is he even standing there? Do, does like somebody stand on every every turbo lift? And guard yeah. every turbo lift. Make sure no civilians yeah. get to the bridge. That's why they have to have five hundred people aboard. Two hundred of them are just to guard the turbo lift entrances. <laughs> like, because Jack could have Jack could have tapped his Jack when Jack was standing there. He could have reached out and tapped the dude's combat and like, hey, bridge. <laughs> Or he, well, he he could have he could have gone to a console. He could have hit the wall. He yeah. could have gone talk to seven. He could have talked to his mom and said, "Hey, I need to talk to the bridge." But instead, he's just being useless. Yeah. the The one reason why I thought I realized why Jack didn't want to use internal communications because mm-hmm. if the communications could be monitored by the saboteur, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he hasn't quite proven his his hypothesis yet, gotcha. but he still suspects the saboteur because. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, he's he's figured out that, or he's kind of thought about this. What he mentions later is blood in the water, the 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 bleed the blood on the floor in the sick bay, and connecting it, thinking, oh, is could the Titan be bleeding somehow to show Varric, Vadic, where they are? Yes, that's what's happening in the episode. I heard this perimeter alert sound uh-huh. just before they actually said it. And then they had the perimeter alert sound again. It's a, it's a clever little thing that I think that they put in there because they, they know that there's an interesting thing about this show. And some people are seeing this show as like a first foray into Star Trek. And some people are seeing this show as diehard Next Generation fans. So like there's a there's a coming into the universe and there's a knowing the universe like perspective. Mm. Right. So okay. the fact that a perimeter alert came up first <laughs> before they said it. And then I'm aware of it. I, I think puts me in that second camp, and I think that's like they're 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 often doing the show at at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The wormholes are slowed down for us. I think. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like it's happening really slowly, and it's happening really slowly because they're going to show us. You know, they're we're we're getting ready for it. Like they're showing us how it works, yeah. and then I feel like the more we see it, the faster it's going to happen. So it's, it might be eventually hard to keep up with, and that's part of like the, the, like mind blowing nature of it. I think that that that'll be keyed up once they do it faster. Is what I'm getting at. Okay, you know m- maybe. I mean, it did take a while for when they attacked the um, recruitment center. It did take a while for the second wormhole to appear to drop the recruitment center on the other part of the scene. This is like that that next generation episode where you like you like walk out of one side of the bridge and into the other was it the Royale? Um just it just reminded me of that. That's all. That's the end of Act Two. Let's go to break. Alright. Hi, I'm Dan from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. And I never listen to Let's Talk About <laughs> Treks. 
Why are you saying never? Never. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Metallus Prime. Yes. Getting back to Act Three. Yeah. And so we got a bunch of Worf and Worf and Raffi banter. Mm -hmm. I'm proceeding a Worf and Raffi chase. Like, leave it to Worf <laughs> to come out of the side and, and grab the guy. At least he's not beheaded. I mean, it's not apparently not Wednesday. It's an interesting thing that they're doing to the strike, and that's applying like different sorts of sounds to it. Like the the bolts that the strike suits are not like phaser bolt sounding. They're not like torpedo sounding. To me, mm -hmm. at least, they sound yeah. very different. Just like the sounds of the ship sound very different. So it gives it like sort of like a, a, an unfamiliar and ominous feel. I think that they really get their kudos for for doing that. Right. Do you think the blood in the water idea? Do you think that's like a Fenris tool, or is it like a, a like a legend that the Fenris Rangers know? Because he brings he brings that to seven. And the underlying mm -hmm. current of him bringing that phrasing to Seven is that because he has, you know, some familiarity with the Fenris Rangers. So the the subtext behind that is that that's something that a Fenris Ranger would be familiar with. Right. So I wonder if it's a tool that they use, like here, let me pretend that I'm leaking and then I can stop by leaking and then come up around behind you. Or mm -hmm. is it like they have a the a, there's a story where people couldn't figure out why they were being chased. And then later they realized that it was blood in the water. I didn't think about that. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Starfleet security have mostly glass jaws. I don't know if you've noticed that. Right. Like, every time we come across Starfleet security, you just give them one punch. They're one punch out. <laughs> yeah, this guy made my least valuable player. Yeah, for his glass jaw. Congratulations. For his, exactly. Congratulations to him. You know, when, when we first get in a, a sense that there's a saboteur aboard the ship, mm -hmm. my first instinct is to blame the Vulcan. Why the Vulcan? Star Trek Six. Okay. The undiscovered country. Yeah. This is a joke about um, the Vulcan that Spock had to mind meld to get her to tell the truth about who shot the Klingon ship. Oh, okay. But you watch Star Wars, not Star Trek. I forget about that. So this is another time, right, where Picard's sort of being uh, questionable here because Riker just wants to go home. He's like, let's take the ship and screw, let's go home. Yeah. Picard's like, uh, let's try a thing, though. Hmm. Riker's supposed to be in command, but Picard is... Yeah like pressing his his influence over Riker and changing Riker's mind mm. so this is another little clue I'm like it's Picard a changeling right now <laughs> okay so he's kind of like whispering into his ear the way Martok was whispering into Galvan's ear sure. in DS9 sure sure a little devil on the shoulder oh. kind of like George Burns playing God and the devil at the same time <laughs> It's just a movie from the 80s called Oh God You Devil and Oh God You Devil 2. That's the end of Act 3. Let's let's go to break. Okay. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome. Welcome back. This is this has been a great show. I don't know if you can tell by my energy, but I'm really excited about how much we're enjoying this episode. I mean, I enjoyed this episode a lot. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy this episode. We come back to Rick of Restrained. Are, are Raffi and Worf playing good cop on bad cop on purpose here? They are. I think so. And I think that Michelle Hurd specifically is showing Law & Order Special Victim Unit what they lost out on. Because this is what she would have done on that show. And it would have been better than Stabler doing it, in my humble opinion. <laughs> okay. There's a, there's a couple... Like, okay, but it's, it's a little over the top is the Raffi line of... Who broke into Daystrom? Tell me now! 
Like it's a little, it's a little on the nose for like Law and Order, but I, we did get a couple of lines here that I that I hold up for Worf, and one of those being that things change with perspective because that's one that you know resonates with me, and the other one is when he says that a fight is rarely worth right. dying when for. he's talking to the changeling and reminding him that he's kind of in a bad place right now, and he doesn't really have a leg to stand on to. I mean, if he needs to get out of the situation, he needs to start cooperating. Yeah, he's he's fading fast and and almost like he's like he's dying. No, he's not anywhere near dying. But Jack is nearly dying. Right, he is. This is an, a very interesting scene. This is one of the most interesting scenes. This is maybe the most interesting scene of the series so far because it's so ethereal and so like wormhole alien like. Okay. Because uh, you know, there's there's seven who's clearly not seven, and a bunch of um, what look to be almost like veins stretching out behind her and growing bigger, and then she says, the mm -hmm. "So like, there's branches growing behind her. She's all smiley. Is Jack a changeling? Do you think Jack is half changeling? Connect the branches. So are you saying how long has Picard been a changeling? Well, that... okay. So if Beverly were a changeling." Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen her for 20 years. Yeah. Then he would be a half changeling. Yeah. They said 17 seconds. So I, I thought I was going to count down as it was happening. But their timeline was was not that. Their timeline yeah. was at zero seconds, Picard says sickbay. At 23 seconds in, Picard arrives <laughs> in sickbay. Yeah. At one minute and six seconds is how long they made us wait. Do you know that there was a period of time, maybe 15 seconds, that I was literally sitting there sobbing, no, no, no? <laughs> you know, I was actually going to count it down and see if it actually took them 17 seconds. But then they started playing with time and doing the slow-mo stuff. And, yeah, when they're sitting there zapping, you know, I, I wasn't quite like that. But, I yeah, I was starting to get choked up. Because, like, what happened was, strangely, what Riker said is that, like, his his whole life was flashing before my eyes, right? Because I was like, you know, this makes a whole new thing for, uh, you know, Beverly and Jean-Louis to go through. And then, like, I could see him, like, flipping over into Starfleet and then it being, like, a whole series. And it's, like, you know, mm -hmm. him, you know, the son of Picard as, like, the leader of this series or, like, you know, at least a, an integral part of this new series. And then I was like, but wait, why would they just do all this just to just to snatch it away from them? They just want to hurt us. <laughs> so yeah. I'm glad that they didn't they didn't go that way. At least that yeah. was that was very kind of them. Good. Okay. But Jack is okay. Yep, sure is. Worf is uh, with the changeling. They're trying to, you know, figure out what's going on with this whole thing. The changeling says that the, you know, human solids, your worlds are on the edge of destruction. I'm not really sure what he's getting at, but he's getting at something far beyond this episode. Like, it seems like there's a whole big plot that's happening. And I don't know whether the changelings are on our side or against us. Because you can sometimes do clandestine things mm -hmm. that are made to assist the whole instead of, you know, just like Worf. Worf is doing clandestine things that are made to aid the federation so yeah. maybe the changelings are also doing well we do find out later that apparently odo has informed Worf a while ago that something deeper is going on and there's a splinter group of the changelings that have split off yeah, yeah. that's that's a callback to Worf saying something has been coming and i've known it for a while because odo yeah. told him that i do yeah. like the the upgrade of the changeling um 
of the Changeling special effects. I know that this one is supposed to look weird and sick, and it does a great job of looking weird and sick, but the quality yeah. of the actual changing, like the, the the actual like liquid that's there, it's really great. It's it's really much better yeah. than I've ever seen before. It looks like it's in the scene. Yeah, I mean, before we usually saw a monochromatic changeling whenever, well, sort of had a little shimmer, but this actually looks like the, the shimmer is sometimes coming from within, a little bit deeper inside the changeling, or, you know, it's not just like an overlay pattern over top of the, the blob. This actually looks like a blob of goop that's actually on the floor. So we agree. Exactly, yeah. So, okay, so there is one thing that, that I was wondering about. So there's a, there's a changeling faction, right? So if they're not a part of the Great Link, mm -hmm. why do they care? Why do they care about the defeat of the Great Link? Like, and then I'm like, okay, so the 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 wormhole weapons were stolen mm -hmm. to as a distraction to some from something else, right? Mm -hmm. There are wormhole weapons aboard the Shrike. So is the Shrike actually just a distraction? Are they just keeping the Titan from doing something else? Ooh, that's a good question. I that I will have to keep that in mind as I keep on watching the series. The distraction that I thought that they might have been, or the thing that I thought they might have been using the distraction for, maybe they were trying to rescue uh, Moriarty. Maybe that little yellow cube at the end of the episode that Moriarty was in for the second time maybe that was stored at the Daystrom Institute after the Enterprise D crashed. Because mm -hmm. there would be no reason for Picard to keep it on the Enterprise E. Yeah. Or maybe they totally forgot about it and it was abandoned there and, you know, Daystrom had to go in and go get it themselves. I'm sure everything on that ship was cataloged and removed from Viridian 3. I mean, look, go check Picard's ready yeah. room. It's just yeah. down the hall. We gotta climb up yeah. a little bit to get to the first deck, but... <laughs> I'm wondering with this wormhole trick that Vedic pulls, uh, why didn't she just have the torpedoes appear right in front of the Titan, mm -hmm. coming at the Titan? Wouldn't that have been a little bit... Because she had their torpedoes go basically in the direction of their travel, which meant yeah. that a little bit of their, they were a little less effective than they would have been had she just had them appear head on. It, and then just like, she could, they could have just blown themselves up. That'd have been, She'd have been done with it. She said in the last episode... If you try and run away, the last thing you'll see is the blade out of your chest when I stab you in the back. Uh, okay. Or something like that. She talked about, you know, shooting them in the back. Gotcha. At some point. The, the Her ship has all these different interesting aspects, uh, like the Enterprise D part, the whole claw thing. From underneath, it looks like a Cylon Raider to me. The From, like, the the newer Battlestar, the 2005 Battlestar Galactica, where they're, like, curved forward. That's mm -hmm. what it reminds me of. I also am having trouble. I, so, I think the maybe the first part that the first thing that actually clued me back, you know, to the idea of Picard being a changeling was when Riker said, "You just killed us all." Number one, no, no, he didn't. Like Riker mm -hmm. gave the command, but Picard did get in his ear and do that. And then I'm wondering, did Picard do that on purpose <laughs> because he's a changeling? I thought in these moments, these last few moments on the bridge with Riker and Picard arguing with each other. It seemed like somehow Riker was channeling Shaw. Almost like he was trying to put himself in the mind of Shaw, what Shaw would want him to do in his position. Okay. 
Did, so you saw like just that last like half second before the episode ended, and it's like clearly the Enterprise, the Enterprise, the Titan is about to get hit by this giant asteroid. No, I didn't. Never mind then. Right. That's the end of the episode. On the next episode of Star Trek Picard, the TNG crew confront their past and lick their wounds aboard a dying Titan, which is being drawn into a mysteriously biological and electrical spatial anomaly. The polls for this episode will be out on Twitter at the same time this episode is released. Please vote on them. We really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Support Connect the, the branches. Support continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. I am Worf, son of Moog, house of Martok, son of Sergei, house of Roshenko, bane to the Duras family, slayer of Gowron. I have made some chamomile tea. Do you take sugar?